only go far in life, I can see that. Thank you, Adam, that's really kind. We are in our Back to the Start series. This is our fourth message in our Back to the Start series, and this is the third one on Jonah. And our title today is Jonah, How to Win a City. I'm going to read you a single verse to start off with from Jonah. This is from Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest, and put on sackcloth, sorry, from the greatest to the least of them. Let's pray. Father, we pray now your word will go out with power. Your word has the power to change lives to transform societies and heal nations. Your word has power to heal hearts, change minds, and renew families. Lord, I pray this morning your word will do everything your spirit wants and wills to accomplish through it. Let's just put our hands on our hearts and say together, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart today. Open my eyes. Illuminate my mind, touch my spirit, and change my life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, I'm just going to make an adjustment here because I think somebody else was using this. Slightly different. That's better. Seven weeks ago in June, we were in our church network conference in London and the theme there was back to the start and you can see I've got the t-shirt and all the rest of it and that message of back to the start has been repeated in our church family around the world and I've been to other conferences I've been blessed to be able to do that but nowhere has it been more pointed more sharp and more um, focused than here in the UK, and God is really wanting to get our attention and speak to us through the very theme of that conference. And I believe that's especially important right now with all that's happening in the nation at this time. On top of that, uh, as we began this series, Raisa Kamita shared with us a, a really important prophetic word referring us back to the start of our vision together and to the whole book of Jonah, which is, where, which is why and where we find ourselves preaching again today. And we were meeting as a leadership team earlier this week just to go through that word, because you are supposed to weigh prophetic words, especially ones that speak to the whole church. And we do feel as a team together that God is really in that word speaking to us. We really feel he's got something important and very key and clear to say to us at this time. The last time I spoke uh, in this series... I just dropped in a little phrase that I felt God had given me from uh, this study on Jonah and about the vision that Jonah had, which is the same vision that God is teaching us through this series, and it's the vision to save multitudes. It's not just the vision to save one or two, good as that is. God has a big heart. He has a big heart for each one of us here, and he has a big heart for a very big world. And here, God wants to stir in us something he had to stir in Jonah, a bigger vision, a wider vision, the vision of his heart to reach out and touch multitudes. In this case, it was one man with 
a, a city that takes three days to get around 120,000 people. And we said, because of the population of the earth at that time, which is maybe somewhere between 50 and 75 million, something in that order, um, this city with 120,000 people represents about one in every 500 people in the whole earth in those days. It was a very big city. A sizable chunk of the earth's population was touched by just this one man in a very short space of time. And I wonder if I can just... There's a phrase in the Bible that says, would you bear with me in a little foolishness? Do you feel like the, the kids are having fun upstairs and we haven't got them in here, so do you mind being a bit like the kids for five minutes? This is a little bit of fun to sort of get you into the theme of this. When Jonah came and preached his message, they called a fast and they made everyone go without food, not just the grown-ups, the king and the royal family, hope they were grown-ups too, but all the animals had to go without. The cats and the dog, the cows, the pigs, the chickens. All the kids had to go without. Now, can you imagine what that was like in that city? 120,000 people and the pigs and the cows and the ducks and the chickens all groaning and crying out to God because they're hungry and really distressed that God's hand is going to judge their city unless they turn and repent. So... Let's try something. Here's a little foolishness. You are going to be the cows. And you've got to go moo in a distressed kind of way. You've probably never done this before. And you're probably wishing you were upstairs with the kids right now. But anyway, I'm going to ask you to bear with me a little foolishness. Can I hear a moo from you, please? Can I hear a more pained moo? That's very good. Okay. Yes, okay. Now... Here, I think we could do with some ducks. Okay, so let's have some quacking over here. Can you do a quack for me? I think the moves are better than the quacks. Okay, you're going to have to quack loud. Here, I think we need some babies wailing. Can you wail like babies here? Good gracious me, Halvard in our house could drown all of you just on his own. Let's hear it again. Come on. Very good. Okay. Now, thank you. Let's get the authentic thing going here. And finally over here, it says that news reached the king's palace. Now, I don't know if you know how the king's palace would behave when they're fasting and they're really hungry, but they're going to be a bit posh about this. So you can imagine... If this was today, and this was Buckingham Palace, the Queen of England, she would probably say, oh, I say. So can I have an oh, I say from all of you in a posh voice? Oh, come on, much posher than that. We've got to get you in the royal family here. Oh, I say. Right, oh, good. Let's put all that together, and let's see if this is... This is how it was for that city. Are you ready? All together. One, two, three. You're not hungry enough yet. You've only started. Let's get some more volume. Come on. Oh, I say. Come on, I want to hear you. Okay, thank you very much. You get the idea. Could you imagine a day of that? The French have an expression, sacasse ma tête. That breaks my head. Do you understand where they get that phrase from? I mean, that does your head in, doesn't it? Could you imagine unrelenting 24 hours of 
pigs and dogs and cats and ducks and babies and the posh royal family and everybody else really desperately crying out to God and really hungry, hot, thirsty. The noise must have been tremendous, 120,000 people and all the pigs and sheep and goats. The amazing thing is, having made the animals fast, it says right at the end of the book, God relented about the judgment he was going to bring on the city and on all the people and on all the animals. So the moral of the story and the lesson for, the sort of side lesson for this morning is fasting works even if you're a pig or a duck. Did you know that? If it works for the animals, it's going to work for us as well. Amen? So that's a little side lesson in fasting and praying. Right. Now, how does that happen? How does Jonah do this? How does anyone do this? How does one man in one day walk into a city about half the size of Newcastle and by their own admission, it's a wicked and violent city and how does he bring about this kind of astonishing result? How does he do it? This must count as one of the greatest missionary journeys and the greatest missionary endeavors by one single person of all history and time. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing and astounding. Today, we're going to find out how. Remember, this is a vision to win the multitudes. And if you're not quite there yet, it works for the one and two as well. So wherever you're at between one and two and the multitudes, this is going to help and this is going to work. Now, second illustration this morning. You've got to bear with me a little more foolishness here. So I need a volunteer to be in a competition with me. Actually, two volunteers, just one. I think one volunteer to be against. Come on. <laughs> Come over here. We like a brave warrior. Now, this is, this is a game, Paul, and we're in a race. He, he, he knows that he's going to lose. You see, how many of you older folk know experience always triumphs over youth? Is that right? I see some hands here from people of 18 years old and a bit. Amen. Thank you, Ross. <laughs> So this is what we're going to do, Paul. This game is called Touch the Shoulder. I hope you don't mind being touched. Just touch the shoulder like this. Now, what's going to happen is this. You and I are going to have a race to get round the room, and we've all... What is the matter? I haven't started to... There's a trick. There's going to be a trick. Why would, you th- why would you think about me like that? Experience. <laughs> You're quite right, of course. There is a trick. I'm, I'm going to try and catch you out here, but here we go. So... I've got to get around the room and touch everyone's shoulder, and so have you. The first one to get to the far side there. Can I see in the distance? Is that Paul sitting over there? Paul, stand up. You're the final adjudicator at the end there, okay? When his shoulder gets touched, that's the end of the race. So, Paul, slightly different rules for you and me. You've got to run around and touch everybody's... Sh- Let me finish. <laughs> You've got to run around and touch everybody's shoulder. In fact, I might even give you a head start. Sometimes. Me, I'm going to play by a different set of rules. All I'm going to do is touch two people's shoulders, and then every person whose shoulder is touched touches two more people's shoulders. So we're going to see what can travel faster across the room, my style of touching shoulders or his style of touching shoulders. Are you ready? Do I have to touch everybody's Every shoulder? person's shoulder in the whole room. Yeah, yes, gently. Okay. Are you ready to shoulder this burden? Never mind. See, they give you the cold shoulder here, Paul. This is the problem. I'm only joking. Sorry about that. We will stop the dad jokes. 
There's only one thing worse than dad jokes, and that's pastor jokes, and we've excelled and superseded all of those this morning. Right. Are you ready, Paul? I'm going to give you a head start, the first row. Off you go. Go. Off you go, guys. Pass it round. So every person touch two person's shoulders. See who wins. When your shoulders touch, you've got to move across the aisle there. Come on. Keep it going. Two shoulders each. Two shoulders each. That's it. And then carry on. Let's. Keep going. Pass it on. Keep going. Pass it on. Pass it on. Pass it on to Paul. Come on. Pass it on. Every shoulder touched. Come on. Come on. Come on. Where is, are we there yet, Paul? Are we still going? We're done. Raise your hands, Paul, if you're done. Okay. Sorry, Paul. I win. You made a great effort. You did great. He actually did extremely well, didn't he? And we've got to do this again. Yeah, come on, Paul. We're going to come back to the beginning because we've got another round to play yet. Even the youths grow tired and faint. Now, what is the lesson we can learn from that little demonstration? <laughs> Paul says exercise is dangerous and bad for you. Okay, well, we... Connection. Sending a message. Keep going. Sorry? Togetherness. Yes, we're getting warmer. We're getting... Sorry? Teamwork. Makes the dream work. Multiplication's better than addition. You've been reading my notes. That's right. When we all do a bit, it works much more effectively and much more quickly. When everyone takes part, it's a whole different dynamic than just one poor guy running around. Okay, now I'm going to make it a bit more in your favor this time. So, because you, you, you had the dice stacked against you there, so... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do exactly the same. The only thing is, this time, nobody's allowed to get out of their chair. Now, that's, that's interested you, hasn't it? Well, strategizing, I think who else I have to touch who can't be touched by somebody. Actually, I tell you what, I'm going to give you such a head start on this. Everybody you touched in the last game counts for this game, so you've only got to finish off. Is, is that good? You reckon you might stand a chance here? Come on, let's. I'm ready, ready for my two. Wait, 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 wait. Ready, ready, ready for my two touches. Go, quick. Okay. Where's where's my team? Don't let him win. I want the prize. We got the prize. Now, where, where's, 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 where's my team? Um, my team? Don't let him win. I want the prize. This is. You got to be touched by people over there.
I'm obviously out of touch. Dear me, they're not getting any better, are they? They're getting worse. Where have we got the prize, Sally? Actually, he wins the prize for being a hero and working so hard. There you go, Paul. Give him a big clap. Now, look, what's, what's the lesson to learn from that second um, try at the game there? If we don't get out of our seats, nothing happens. That's right. If you take the go out of the gospel, all you're left with is a spell. Go is essential in the gospel. If we don't get out of our seats and do something, it's not going to happen. Jonah had to get out of his bed, you heard last week, via the belly of a fish, and actually go and do something. But if we go and do something in a smart way and enlist everybody else, it works really quickly. That's what we're going to take a little look at today in the rest of our message. Now, we're going to do some more on that particular aspect of uh, today's word in our city groups. So we're going to look at uh, a couple of things today on how to win a city, and we're going to look at some more in city groups. So this is a message in two parts, really. Part of it's today, and part of it's going to be delivered in city groups. Why am I telling you that? Don't miss your city group, because you're going to get more of this good stuff. And if you're not in a city group, you can be, and you will get more of this stuff. Let's read a little bit more of the story. Chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Is our first verse we read. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they caught a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. How do you do that? How do you walk into a place somewhere you've never been before, somewhere you're not wanted, the camp of the enemy, in fact, and you start speaking to people and they all fall down and repent of their evil ways and not knowing God and being distant from God? Here's the couple we're going to look at this week. The first one is this. Jonah could see God in this place. Jonah could see God in this place. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that Jonah could see God in a city full of wickedness and violence? And we've covered some of that already in this series on Jonah, what kind of place it was. The enemy lived there, and they they were intent on attacking Israel. It says in chapter 3, verse 3, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. The Hebrew in that part where the Bible is written actually says something. It's on on here. Look at this. Oh, it's missing a letter. Ir, city. Godola, great. Lelohi, and the M's missing off the end. Lelohim. A city, great to God. The Hebrew doesn't say an exceedingly great city. It says a great city 
to God. Those two words, to God in there, make all the difference. You see, in God's eyes, this city is in his sights. And he puts that into Jonah. As Jonah writes it in his book here, this is a vision he catches hold of. He sees the city as God sees the city. Previously, he'd seen this city as a city full of sinners that deserve judgment. Now he looks at it as a great city to God, a great opportunity. God has got his hand on the place. He wants to redeem it and save it. God has a purpose for the people in saving them. Their wickedness comes before God and cries out to God for judgment. But God is moved by compassion to do something for them, to rescue them. And what does he do? He sends his biggest, best, and nearest prophet to them, Jonah, who basically doesn't want to go. But through Jonah, God is going to do something in that city that he's already seen over it. It's a great city to God. It's the same for us today. It's possible to look for us to look at many places and many people and just see another lost soul. Just see another sinner, another person who needs God and isn't walking with God. The question for every one of us is, can we look again like Jonah and see the city, see our street, see the people we meet each day in a different way? Since we've been to the starting, my life has changed somewhat. I don't know how back to the start is going for you, but for me, it's going super well. Back to the start for me wasn't going back to the day I became a Christian, good as that was, and impacting and amazing my life, or back to the day I was filled with the Holy Spirit, amazing as that was. God took me back to a time when I was praying for a city. He said, that's your start. I was praying for the fire of God to fall on the city that I later returned to and later helped start a church and build a work in. God used my prayers, but he used me as the one making the prayers. So you know that very often we're the answer to the very prayers we pray. And in taking us back to the scar, some people were saying to me, well, my start wasn't very good as a Christian. I was bumping along in all kinds of trouble. That's not the start God's taking you to. He's taking you back to a place in him, which may not be the very beginning of your Christian life, but a place where he really got hold of you, where you really started to understand a closeness to him and what it means to be called by him and do a work for him in this world. That's the place, the start God wants to take you to. And when he does, it's, it's important to see through his eyes. An exceedingly great city is actually a city to God. A person walking down the road is actually a person to God if you see them through those same eyes. Having dinner with a guy later on today, he was just a guy on the side of the road with his bicycle lying down there. But I spoke to him. But he's more than just a guy with a bike. He's a person to God. So we're meeting up with him today. We were... Up late last night till 1.30, we spent three hours between 10 and 1.30 sharing the gospel with four people last night. People for God. I was given a phone number this week by 
uh, somebody and they said, would you contact this guy for various reasons? He wants to have a chat with you about something. Is that just a, a phone number? I didn't see it as that. I thought, wow, this is back to the start. Here's a, a person for God. I can see God in this. This is an opportunity to bring Christ into this person's life. So I phoned the guy up on Friday. I'm going to see him. I've arranged to go and see him this week, probably Monday. God is bringing me these opportunities to share Christ with people. It's part of being back to the start. It's awesome when you can see something as God sees it, when you can see people as God sees it, when you can get a hold of things like Jonah did. I'll miss out my next scripture, guys, on the, on the thing. I think we've got past that. During my days as a student, I was getting under pressure about saving 120,000 people or that sort of number. One of the great lessons I learned was to see through the Holy Spirit. And that final year in my student hall of residence, I felt the Lord challenge me not to just go crazy and feel under pressure, but to see people through God. And in the first two weeks, as I walked around, I asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, who are you moving on? amongst these 323 students that live here. And nine people caught my attention. I prayed for those nine people. Every one of them became a Christian that year. No more and no less. Teaching me something. When you see through the eyes of the Spirit, you can focus your attention where God leads you and touch those people strategically. And then when, they, when you touch them, their lives are transformed and they touch somebody else. One of those people was a very interesting guy. He was known by the whole of our campus or whole of our hall of residence because he was in such need. He would come into breakfast in the morning with no shoes on, his shirt undone, or, you know, buttoned up the wrong way. His hair was like straw, had this terrible beard. If any of you ever saw the the, the series years and years ago with the actor Jeffrey Bailden called Cat Weasel. He was a spitting image of Cat Weasel. And he would traipse his way into breakfast, sit on his own, slurp his way through breakfast, and the milk would run down his beard, and he looked terrible. And it got worse than that because he was so lonely and so miserable, he would open his windows at gone midnight in the student hall of residence. He would scream at the top of his voice for ages just screaming there. He got the nickname. He, his block was called Block B, so he was the B-block screamer. That's what they all called him. And he would wake everybody up at midnight and gone, just screaming in hurt, pain, loneliness, and desperation. One morning, he came into breakfast with his hair cut, his beard trimmed. He was wearing a suit. It was Sunday morning. He was going to church. Some of the Christians who lived near him, we all started to pray for him. And they, they befriended him, and they shared Christ with him. And he was gloriously transformed through believing in the Lord Jesus. He gave his life to Christ. He was a different guy. whole hall knew it because there was no more screaming. They could all get a good night's sleep for once. For once, the church was popular. For once, the Christians were everybody's hero. You've saved our sleep. You've stopped the B-block screamer. You've turned him into the B-block dapper-dressed guy going to church now, and we all get peace. That's the power of seeing people through 
God's eyes. Nobody thought he would ever become a Christian. He just looked so far away. But he turned and changed. Because somebody saw him through God's eyes. That's how we look at people today. So that's my first point. The first point was this. Jonah could see God in that place. He could see God in the people. The second thing is this. The people could see God in Jonah. You've probably heard me repeat this story before, but many years ago there was a, a famous Yorkshire plumber who gave up his job as a plumber and became a preacher. His surname was Smith hyphen Wigglesworth, so Smith Wigglesworth, very famous, did incredible, powerful healing miracles all over the country. He was an amazing man of God. He would pray. When I read his book, he said he never prayed for long. He just prayed often during the day. He wasn't a guy that prayed for four or five hours at a time. He would just pray, pray, do a bit, pray, do a bit. He would pray constantly through the day. He would take communion every day. He was a man who lived in the presence of God. And he didn't know how to read and write, so his wife taught him to read and write the Bible. That's all it read, read the Bible. That's all he ever read. One day he sat on a train. In those days, trains had little compartments in them, which was very good for the British, because if you're not British here, the etiquette in Britain is if you get on a train with compartments, never sit in a compartment with somebody else in it. Always find one that's completely empty. I mean, if you want to be un-British, go and find one with several people and shake all their hands and say, hello, how are you? It's so nice to talk to you. Let's have a little chat together, shall we? You'll be really unpopular in England if you do that. He's sitting on the train. This guy comes into the compartment and sits opposite him because that was the most open seat. And they just sit there bumping on, not a word is said. And after a number of minutes, the man leans across and says, you know, you convict me of sin. Wow. Without a word being spoken, the presence of God was so real in Smith Wigglesworth's life. Not a word needed to be said. The man came under conviction. He could see God in Smith Wigglesworth. And the people could see God in Jonah here. How is that possible? Here's the key for this. He had been in the dealings of God. When you have been in the dealings of God, it changes you and people can see it. I'm in the dealings of the sound engineer. Nearly the same thing. Jonah had experienced something like other people had experienced. Jacob, in the Bible, had been in the dealings of God. He wrestled with the messenger of God. Afterwards, he was visibly different. Does anybody know how Jacob was different after that encounter with God? He had a limp. He goes to the encounter, walking normally. I'm Jacob, I'm me, God's over there, I do my stuff, he does his stuff, he blesses me, I get on with my life. After the encounter with God, it was like this. God's got me. I have a purpose and a destiny in God. My 12 sons are going to be the foundation of winning multitudes. You see the difference? Everyone, he'd be of God. That's what happens when God gets a hold of you. It visibly changes us. I want to ask you, do you walk with a limp? 
I can promise you this. When God's finished with you, you will walk with a limp. And it'll be obvious to others. By that I mean there'll be a humility and a grace and a compassion about you that says you've been in the dealings of God. Now, how was Jonah different? Well, as you heard from Sally last week, he'd been in the belly of this fish. And the only kind of records we have, I've been trying to find one online because I knew this happened um, back at the end of the 1960s, beginning of the 70s. I'm, I'm looking for the story. I think I need it in Japanese because it um, involved a Japanese guy. And since I know no Japanese, it's a bit hard to look it up on the internet. I saw the pictures in the paper. They cut the this shot, this thing, I think it was a shark, had, had swallowed him. They were on a boat, and he'd been in there 18 hours, and he was alive, and his skin had changed because of the digestive juices in that animal's stomach. And he'd gone like a leathery parchment sort of texture. So instead of being soft and supple, it was sort of like harder and slightly more brittle, and it changed color as well. Basically, he looked awful. He was alive, but he looked different. Now, think about that. Something similar is happening to Jonah. The acid in the animal's stomach is attacking him. And after three days and nights, this thing vomits, excuse me to say this, but that's what he vomits him up on the beach. So he's in this pile of fish. This is going to put you off your lunch, isn't it? Let's change the subject. He's on the beach, right? And he's in a mess. And it's probably a big fish. It's probably a big mess. And he gets himself out of all this mess. Now, if you get a map, I've done this exercise, the nearest point on land to Nineveh is 400 miles away. He was not vomited up on the shore. He wasn't just sort of left there, uh, you know, a half an hour walk away. How long did it take you to walk 400 miles? Quite a long time. That's the mathematics teacher, that very precise mathematical answer I'm looking for. Well, I reckon if you could do 100 miles a week, that's about 15 miles this day, it would take you about four weeks to get there. So here he is, leathery, yellow-looking, hair, probably like that guy I described to you earlier, all over the place if he's got any left. He's picked himself up out of this undescribable situation on the beach, and he starts to walk. Goodness, what shape his clothes are in. 400 miles of this in, in Middle Eastern heat. He's got no money, nowhere to stay, B&B bookings, he's just walking, sleeping rough, scrounging whatever food he can from dustbins, a month of that. So when he arrived at Nineveh, I don't know if you imagine him arriving, you know, it's not like an entourage with big posters saying the Jonah mission is here, and the suit and the glittery glamour of the pop circuit preacher accompanies him. He arrives looking terrible. I mean, if you can imagine how bad it is to look, that's how bad he looked. He comes into town, this gaunt, thin by now, hungry, lean, dragging his feet, clothes in a mess guy. No shower in a month after being in the, in the, in the belly of the fish. I mean, who knows what state he must have been in. And he comes up to people and says, I've... I've come to bring you a message from God. And this is what it's cost me to learn that message to bring to you. Okay, we're listening. I mean, the shock of seeing a man like that come to you. Say, this is what it's cost me 
to get here to be with you. I've been in the dealings of God. It had visibly changed him. He looked different to everybody there. When we're in the dealings of God, it visibly changes us and people can see it. That's how you win a city. That's why everybody paid attention to Jonah. You couldn't ignore him. Even the tramps, even the, the homeless people, if they hadn't in the city, looked better than he did. He was shockingly different. Am I prepared to be in the dealings of God? That God could change me and make me different to that extent that I'm so different to the people around me that I ooze a different atmosphere and a different way of being, that I see different things, that I represent different things, that I have different values and a different heart, different attitude. Have you ever been on the bus or the, the metro and it's full and someone gets up to offer their seat, maybe to a pregnant lady or just, just a lady, some gentlemen in chivalrous. The fuss that creates, I'll tell you, you've got to really insist. Oh, no, 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 we're in these days of equality now. You just sit down. Be, be. Honestly, just to be a tiny bit different now creates a total kerfuffle if you want to offer your seat to somebody. You get into all kinds of political issues just by trying to be chivalrous, kind, and decent. The, the one exception, I think, being a pregnant lady, I think most people would accept that is a great thing to do, Anna. Well done. Next time you need a seat, I'm sure you'll get one. Being different costs. Now, I don't know if you've been in the dealings of God, but it feels a bit like this. The Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. And it also says in the same passage, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I know we love Jesus and he's a baby in a manger and he's all sweet and nice and we like Christmas and that. That is one side of God. It's goodness, his closeness, his kindness come to be with us. But he is also holy, pure, eternal and knows what he wants from us. And when he doesn't get it, he has a way of putting the pressure on us to do that. I remember talking once with a pastor, many of you will know, met uh, he died last year. His name's Pastor Barney Coombs. And he was telling us about how God had got hold of him one day. He was out as a young guy preaching somewhere with another very well-known church leader of those days who took him to task for his preaching and some attitudes that came across in the preaching and so on. And he said, after this pastor finished with me, we shared the hotel room. He says, well, good night, brother. I'm going to sleep now. And he rolled over and went to sleep. He said, meanwhile, I did not. I was so churned up with what he told me about myself. God was really starting to stir me. And so I say, he's right. You've got to change in this and change. And he said, I saw in the dawn. I did not sleep a wink. Now, sometimes we say that and we did actually, do, did actually nod off. He says, I promise you, I went through the whole night awake, wrestling inside myself with God. God, am I ever going to make it with you? Am I ever really going to get through this Christian life? Should I just give up now? It was so 
intense, the, the sense of being dealt with by God. Now, this pastor had just left him in the hands of God. That's a pastor's job, by the way, to set God on you and then run. If you see me at the door afterwards, run the other way quick. Because that's what we do. We set you and run. And guess what? We know it works because he's done it to us first. So we've been in the dealings of God too. If you want to be a pastor, all you need is lots of time in the dealings of God and several limps and you'll be fine. Or a few fish bellies or something like that. That will set you up well for being a leader. We need to be in the dealings of God because our own human nature is so cleverly deceitful it tricks us into thinking we're there when we're not. It lets us off the hook far too early. But God knows what we're really like inside. And he keeps the pressure on until we really change. And you'll find out about Jonah in the coming weeks. Here's how the pressure seemed to the Apostle Paul. In far more labors, this is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren, dangers from Brexit. No, he doesn't say that. Just checking if you're listening. I have been in hunger and labor, and I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is a man who knew what it was like to be under pressure and in that pressure to be in the dealings of God. This man who wrote so much of our New Testament was shaped and formed by the dealings of God. He had many sleepless, awkward nights where God got a hold of his life and really changed him, just like he changed Jacob, just like he changed Jonah, and just like he wants to change you and me. It's not comfortable, but it works. It's not welcome in one sense, but being in the dealings of God is the only real place to deep down change. And that's what Jonah experienced. And when he'd been through it, everybody could see that God had been working on him. So by way of conclusion, I want to say this. A city with God's name on it, can be one. It just takes one Jonah. First, we have to understand and go through and cooperate with the dealings of God. We have to come out the other side and we have to be the kind of people who are visibly different, radically different totally different to the people around us, obviously worked on by God, carrying a willingness to go wherever God says, to whomever he says, and ready at all times to give his message to whomever God sends our way and whoever we encounter. I was very privileged to become a Christian at a time in the world where there were people alive who had seen incredible moves of God. There was a great revival, a great move of God in the British Isles, particularly in some parts, at the beginning of the 20th century. 
And some of those people who actually experienced those things were in my church. They were the old dears in the church. Now, of course, I'm the old dear. But anyway, and then I was the youth. And we all wanted to be the pastor. We looked up to our pastor. We respected and admired him. We all wanted to be like him. We all wanted to be a preacher like him and serve God like him. And after the meeting, we would sit down and we would talk to these old ladies. And they would talk to us and these old guys. And they would say, he is good. And they would talk to us very simply. Said, I want God to use me. He said, oh, he'll use you. But first, he's going to have to break you. What does that mean, break me? I don't want to be broken. Who wants to be broken? And they smile at you in a knowing way. Say, yep. You keep wanting to be used by God. That's really good. Then they look at each other and wink at each other and say, but first God's going to have to deal with you. you deal with me. I'm here in church, aren't I? I? believe the Bible, don't I? I've become a Christian six months ago. Surely you know, I'm there. I'm ready to go. Yes. Keep, keep on. You'll do well. First, God's got to get his hands on you and just do a little bit of reshaping in your life. <laughs> we had no idea what they meant. But several years later, when God had got his hands on us and had worked on us, and we had been in the dealings of God, and we had been challenged about our own nature, our own attitudes, our own behavior towards him, let alone others, we started to understand what these dealings of God but it's the dealings of God that visibly change us. And they ch it changes us so much. And by the way, I just feel the Lord wants me to say to you, the dealings of God come to you through other people. They don't just come direct from heaven. Some people will only accept the dealings of God if they come from heaven. They were called the Pharisees. When God was in the book and in the temple and in heaven, then they can accept God speaking to them. When Jesus comes along, God in human flesh, and says, oh, guys, you're religious, they kill him. See, they, were, they wouldn't accept God through a human voice. God can speak to us through a donkey, let alone another person, if you know your Bible. Other people are what God will use to bring his dealings into our lives. If we've got eyes to see it like Jonah did, you will benefit hugely and enormously from that. Let me just tell you how you'll benefit. Some years ago, I was privileged to visit India. If you ever get the chance, do go. It's an amazing place. If you don't want to get sick, wear a spacesuit. But apart from that, it's a great place to go. I did get sick. I tried everything to keep myself healthy, but there you go. I went to the museum in Mumbai, had a, an afternoon off before we were doing some teaching in a Bible school there. And when I got to the museum, they have something on the, they have, they've reproduced some ancient buildings, the very palace of Ashburnipal that was standing for the king when Jonah went to Nineveh. The actual ones are in the British Museum, so you don't have to go to Mumbai to do this. You can, next time you're in London, go find the British Museum and find where the wall panels of stone, the carvings are for this guy's palace. And go there. Because you will be standing next to the very actual stones where this all happened. I was standing by a reproduction of it, and it was eerie. I got my Bible out, and I started to read Jonah. 
And I looked at these wall panels, and nobody was looking. There were ropes in front. I touched them. Don't do that in the British Museum. They've probably got robots and sensors and laser beams now and things like that. I thought, these walls represent what Jonah looked at if he ever got to the king's palace in person. And that's a debate for our city groups this week. It was eerie. It was awesome. I felt I was transported back in time to the 8th century BC when this all happened. Jonah stood in a place like this. On the panels, you can see scenes of the king of that city and there's a great little video online, if you want to get it, on YouTube, from the British Museum. It's a little um, his history video if you're into research and all that sort of stuff. And the young woman that's uh, talking about this is very knowledgeable. She's very good. And she says that the, the carvings on the wall were meant to intimidate you. They were meant to impress you with what a powerful king this was. There's him sort of hunting lions and fighting battles and overcoming people. You're supposed to go into the palace and be overawed. Oh, man. I feel so small compared to these awesome scenes on the wall here. How can God do anything through me when all of these wall panels are saying to me, you're just a speck like an ant to this mighty, powerful king? But Jonah had been in the dealings of God. He had more power in him, looking like he did after four weeks of walking and three days in the belly of the fish and being in the dealings of God, than any of that wall panel could ever hope to put on him by means of intimidation it was an awesome experience if you look on a map of that time you will see the city of Nineveh it's sort of funny shape like this sort of shield sort of shape and Nineveh is dominated by two mounds or hills in it And if you look on the ancient map, one of the hills is called Preacher's Hill. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's called Preacher's Hill? Got a picture of it behind us. One of the two maps, if you go there today, it's just grassland. Can you see the Bedouin in front of their tents there, the, the, the Arab shepherds? Today, they call one of the hills Tal Kuyunjik. The other hill where the sheep roam is called Navi Yunus. In Arabic, Navi is the same as the Hebrew word. It means prophet. And Yunus is the Arabic form of Jonah. The name of the hill, even today, is the prophet Jonah. Look at that. Nearly 2,800 years later, his name is still on the place. What he did in just the first day of getting into that city, having seen that this was a city to God, a great city to God in God's eyes, having been in the dealings of God, and worked through some important things with God and given himself to that process. And then having done what we demonstrated earlier, he went with the message. He didn't just sit there. He took the opportunity that God gave him and spoke to any and every living thing and who were so impressed with the message, they just passed it on for him. And somehow that must have got its way back to the palace. And then things really took off. 
even today, in that city, they still call his hill the prophet Jonah. Isn't that amazing? Your life can count for something as amazing as that. Imagine if Eldon Square was called Steve Foreman Square. I hope it wouldn't be a place where all the people that dress in black hang out. And if it is, it's a great opportunity for the spirit of Steve still to be speaking to them. Wow. How does someone win a city? There's a story from the 18th century about a man called David Hume. David Hume is probably not known to most people, but he would be to students of philosophy and theology and that sort of thing. David Hume was a, a Scottish philosopher in his day who was known for being a skeptic and having a particular view of the world. And his view of the world did not include Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, or God. He had other views. One day, the preacher George Whitfield came to town. And George Whitfield used to draw gigantic crowds for those days to his preaching. He was probably the most outstanding orator of his day. And the people are all going down the street to go to the meeting to listen to this incredible preacher. And in the crowd is the philosopher David Hume. And somebody stops him and says, David, where are you going? He said, I'm going to listen to George Whitfield. He said, but you don't believe that. He said, no. But he does. And that's why I'm going to listen. How will we win a city? How will we get the message out that we passed on to others? In as much as this is real for me, it will be real for them. When it's truly real for me, it will be truly real for them. Amen. Let's just pray, shall we? In this moment, I want to ask us just to close our eyes and ask ourselves a couple of questions. Can I see not an exceedingly great city, but a great city to God? Can I see a person and people where God is moving on their lives? And can I join in that process to bring Christ to them and the message? salvation can I recognize the dealings of God in my life like Jonah did and cooperate with God surrender to God and yield to God and give him all of me that he's after so that he can use me like he used Jonah can I get a vision beyond myself for the many that 
God wants to save. And do it in an intelligent and smart way by touching one shoulder who then touches another and touches another and eventually the king gets touched. Can I do it like that? Can I live and breathe and embody who God is and the message he wants me to pass on? Can others see God in me? I want to invite you today to make a response to the Lord, if you will. If you want more of God to be seen in your life, if you want to yield more to the Lord, surrender more to Him, allow Him to bring His dealings more closely into your life like Jonah had to, and really cooperate with that for the sake of being transformed into the kind of person He wants you to be. If you want to yield to God today some more, much as you possibly can in this moment. If you want to capture a vision of what God wants to do for multitudes, I'm going to invite you to stand. You don't have to. This is your choice between you and the Lord. But in standing, you're saying, God, this is my response to you. Use me, Lord. in me through your dealings that people can see God in me and this is what back to the start is all about God wants to take you back to that place where you can do these things and work in us and through us thank you let me give you a moment to just speak to God in your own way at this time. Just tell God what you want to tell Him. Just pray to Him whatever He's stirring in your heart right now. Jesus, come and move in us today. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us today. Oh God, come. Work in us today. Transform our lives today. May your hand be on us, Lord. Even if it has to be heavy on us. Because we know it's for life and not for death. We know it's for good. We know it's to release your power and purpose in us. God, work in us today. Do whatever work you need. If we have to walk with a limp, so to speak, we will walk more humbly, walk more circumspectly, walk more carefully, honoring you, following you, not ourselves, that we could have a vision for multitudes as you have a vision for multitudes. Lord, place that vision in us today. ask us in a moment to say a very simple short prayer together as a response to the Lord we'll sing something and finish there before we do earlier we were encouraged to respond to the Lord in the worship I want to ask you if you've never given your life to Jesus 
this is all new to you. You can give your life to him right now. All you have today to do is say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Forgive my sin. I turn away from it and I turn to you. If you want to do that today, we want to help you do that because that's what so many of us have done. We've surrendered our lives to Jesus and accepted his forgiveness through his death on the cross and believed in him that he would remove our past and deal with our issues and sort us out and clean up our lives, release us from our sin and cause us to be the different people we need to be. Anybody wants that today, while our eyes are closed, I want to offer you an opportunity to do that. All you need to do is put your hand up and we will come and share with you, tell you how to give your life to Jesus. It's powerful and precious. Does anybody want to do that today before we move? Does anybody want to receive Christ for the first time now? For the rest of us, I'm going to invite you to do what one or two people have done at the front here and if you want to, you can kneel for this. You don't have to. If your knees are a bit creaky and it's hard to get up, I understand that at my stage of life. But if you want to kneel before the Lord, you're welcome to. And we're going to pray and ask God to surrender our lives to him and ask that we would capture his heart and his vision for the multitudes, for the city, for the many. Jonah had to, that we would be willing to be in the dealings of God so that God could reach out and touch the many through the few. And if that's a prayer you want to pray, then I invite you to pray this with me. Lord, right now, just say this together, Lord, right now, I surrender my life my all to you. Use me, Lord. Deal with me, Lord. Transform me, Lord. And change me. Send me. And I will go for you. Here's the final part. Lord, please give me today a vision for the multitudes a vision for the many that you love that you want to reach out and touch Amen Lord I thank you today you want to impart something of your great heart and vision to us that we would see more than we've ever seen before that we would see not just an exceedingly great city but a great city to God that we would see not just another person but a person that God loves and can use a person who can be transformed in the hands of God a person that God wants to reach out to through us Lord I pray place such a vision such a heart such a willingness in us today this vision for multitudes Lord, I pray you be revealing this to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you're kneeling. And I'm just going to invite you to sing this song as a kind of declaration of our hearts.
towards the Lord. Andy, please. 